0: Well, guys, tonight's going to be a little bit of family time for us. Um, if you're new and you're going, I'm not ready for family time with you yet, then uh, I, I'm sorry. But uh, you're part of our family tonight. But um, tonight, we're looking to step on some toes a little bit. And uh, if you're wondering, my toes have already been stepped on by myself in my office this week and studying for this, this message, this text, this passage. Uh, but it's an important one. It's, it, it's an important one that I, I feel like w- we are not doing well, just to be honest. And uh, and I don't say that just about those in this room. Some of you in this room are, are excelling in this. And I would say fantastic, like the Apostle Paul said, excel still more. Some of you guys in this room, uh, this is the scariest thing in the world for you to think about. And I would say to you remember what it means to be saved and indwelt by the Holy Spirit and who it is that lives in you and what you've been called to do. And for some of you, you're just waiting for somebody to kick you in the pants and say, get out there and get busy. And that's what I'm kind of hoping that this message is going to do. But you think about darkness and light. And you think about the contrast that's created. And I don't know if you've ever been a place where you've just stuck out like a sore thumb and it's unavoidable to look at you and go, that person is out of place. They're different. They don't belong here. My wife and I experienced that, well, I experienced that, and she got drugged through that when uh, we were dating in college, and there was a, an Anaheim Angels baseball game, and they were playing the Texas Rangers, and if you guys know anything about me, it's uh, a big part of who I am, is I, I love the Texas Rangers, so uh, I put on all my, my Texas gear because that's what we do, and I went to the game with my wife, but we could only really afford the cheap seats in the right field bleachers where all of the drunk people sit, so it was my wife and I, and I'm wearing all my Texas Rangers gear in the midst of a hostile crowd of Angels fans. And uh, there was a player for the Rangers who was in right field that day. His name was Richard Hidalgo. And Richard Hidalgo was not a great player, but he was okay. But the, the fans that were around were just letting him have it the whole game, they were just railing on him. And uh, part probably for my benefit as, as much as his, but uh, he came up to bat at a crucial point in the game when the Rangers were uh, either tied or down a run. I can't remember what it was, but there was a, a potential for him to put them in the lead. So I looked at my wife and I said, it would be so sweet, such sweet justice if he cranked a home run right now. And he did. And my response was to stand up in the middle of all the drunk Angels fans and throw my hands up in the air and go, yes! Yes! And I turned around and said, yes. And I, I think I may have said, eat it or something like that to the people that were there, right? And meanwhile, my wife was like slinking as far down and in, into her seat as she possibly can get. And we left shortly thereafter because I don't know karate, right? So, um, but I was obviously out of place. I stood out. Everybody around me was there under a, a common banner for a common purpose. And they were looking at me going, you're different than we are. Now that's easy, right? Because I was wearing a hat that had a T instead of an A on it. But I wonder if you've ever stood out noticeably as as different from those around you. That's why Jesus was telling this parable that we're about to, to study together tonight. That's what he's driving at here. He's driving at this idea that for us as Christians, this experience of being different from the world in which we live, it should be normal. It should be commonplace. That should be life for us. Every day that we live, we should stand out as different from everybody else around us. It should be, there should be a, a giant neon flashing sign over our heads at all times that says, I am not like the, the system of the, the world around me. Light and darkness. Pick up in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, specifically in verse 13 through 16. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, he's just gone through the Beatitudes here, and then he s- turns to his disciples, his followers. And he says this, he says, "'You are the salt of the earth, "'but if salt has lost its taste, "'how shall its saltiness be restored? "'It's no longer good for anything "'except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet.'" And here's where I want us to focus these next couple verses together tonight. "'You are the light of the world. "'A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, "'nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, "'but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house.'" In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The default state of our world is one of darkness. Darkness. And I'm not talking literal darkness. I'm talking spiritual darkness. It doesn't matter where you go, whether you're here, whether you in Europe, you're in Africa, you're in Asia, you're anywhere you go in this world, the default state of the world is going to be darkness. You're going to encounter things in every culture, in every society that you go to. Things like divorce, things like rape, things like murder, things like abuse, things like violence. That's that's across the board because the world in which we live is a dark world. It's a world that's ruled by the prince of darkness, by the, the prince of the power of the air, by Satan himself. And so the default state of the world that you and I exist in on a daily basis, the schools that you attend, the, the neighborhoods that you live in, for some of you, the families that you come from, it's a, a state of darkness. But the thing is, is this world loves its darkness. Darkness. This world is not looking to get rid of its darkness. This world embraces its darkness. John chapter 3, verses 19 through 20 says this, This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Again, I'll read that again. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Think about that. Is that accurate? Does our world love darkness? You know what the number one rated television show right now is on television, to be redundant, right? What's the number one rated television show right now? Game of Thrones. Thrones. Think about the content in that show. Some of you don't know because you've never seen an episode. Some of you have seen a couple episodes and you said, "This is not for me," and you've walked away from it. Some of you watch every episode, but in that show, there's rape, there's sex, there's adultery, there's murder, there's violence, there's everything that you can think of. Seventeen point four million people watched the premiere this year of Game of Thrones. 17.4 million people. There are radio shows on right now where they're spending hours talking about the fact that this is the last season of Game of Thrones and what's going to happen and what are we going to do and what's going to replace it. But don't worry because before Game of Thrones, what did we have before Game of Thrones? We had Breaking, breaking Bad, right? Which wasn't maybe as grotesque as Game of Thrones is, but still, was it glorifying sin and, and elevating wickedness? Yeah, and it was the leading television show out there. So fear not, because Game of Thrones will end and some other debauched uh, cesspool will pop up in its place to entertain us. Because why? Because we live in a world that loves darkness. And that's been ever since the fall of man, hasn't it? What happened after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden? What did they do? They hid. They hid. They looked for a concealed spot, a dark place away from God in order to try to cover their shame, to cover their sin. And and from that time forward, people have been loving darkness as the abode of sin, as the place to escape, as the place to have anonymity, as the place to have secrecy, as the place to think that you're getting away with something, as the place where you want to be. That's the world that we live in. But all the while the world loves the darkness that exists, there's also a hopelessness about that darkness that the world is presented with on a daily basis, brought face to face with on a daily basis. And so you have people on this endless merry-go-round of searching for hope and meaning and fulfillment in this world, and they're not finding it. You have people longing to be accepted and yet having no idea who they should be accepted by you have people trying to escape the pressures of reality and they're just trying to, to numb the hopelessness. And so they're turning to drugs. They're turning to, uh, to alcohol. They're turning to just throwing their bodies around and sex and whatever they possibly can do just to escape reality for a brief moment and not have to come face to face with the hopelessness that they ultimately feel and the reality that they can't escape from the cycle of waking up every day without a reason to live anymore. We live in a world that's trying to be as distracted as possible from the reality of life. And we're pandering to it. We're catering to it. Our entertainment industry is catering to it. It's easy in this world to love darkness and to stay in the darkness because this world is a world of darkness. And whether it realizes it or not, though the default state of this world is a darkened world, this world is a world that needs light. And Jesus had a solution in mind. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, we just read it as we started out. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Who's Jesus speaking to there? His followers, his disciples. He's saying to them, y'all, you, plural, you are the light of the world. See, God's designed answer to the darkness of this world is for you to be a light that the world needs. But what kind of light, when we're talking about light, okay, go out and be lights in the world. It's easy to hear that, and we think to ourselves, great, I'll do that, but what kind of light? How should I do that? Jesus said this in John chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, or John's writing, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, in him, in Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And Jesus would say later in John 8, verse 12, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so there it is, guys. As the followers of Jesus, we become partakers of the light of life. What kind of life does Jesus offer us? Eternal life, right? Forgiveness of sins. See, we live in this world of darkness that's longing for an escape, that's longing for hope, that's longing for a reason to wake up in the morning, that's longing for somebody to embrace them, somebody to accept them. And you and I as followers of Jesus have the light of life, eternal life, the hope of forgiveness of sins, of a a future that will transcend your broken home, a future that will transcend your drug use in the past, a future that will transcend your porn, that will transcend all of these things if you will come to Jesus. And meanwhile, while we're on the the back rows in our churches and we're just watching this darkened world continue to get darker and darker and darker and praying that somebody will go out with a light to them and jesus is saying no you are the light of the world that's our first point tonight it's this see yourself as part of the solution The solution to the problem. What's the problem? The problem is we have a dark world. What's the solution? Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, and my followers share in the light. And then he says, you are now the light of the world. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you would sit here tonight and say, I am a Christian. This statement from Jesus applies to you. He didn't write this to the super spiritual. He didn't write this to just the pastors. He didn't write this and say, this is for this guy named Billy Graham that's gonna be a preacher way down in the future. He wrote this to his disciples, to his followers. And he said to all of them, you are the light of the world. Y'all are in an interesting stage of life right now. You're coming out of the waiting stage of life. And, And what I mean by that is when you grow up, you sit there waiting for a lot of milestones to tick by. And one of the first major ones that you're waiting for after you enter into the double digits, is you're waiting to turn 16. Why do you want to turn 16? I want to drive. And until you can drive, until you're 16, the world is looking at you going, hey, you can't do that. It's not legal, right? So don't drive. You can't get behind the wheel of a car. And then maybe for some of you, you're waiting to turn 18. Because then you're looking forward to independence. Now you're you're legally an adult, whatever benefit you get with that. You can vote, Okay, So there you go. You can vote, and you can smoke. Do one of those, not the other one. And, uh, and the, the one I want you to do is the one that comes around every four years, okay? So you're waiting to turn 18. And then maybe you're waiting to turn 21 for bad, bad reasons, okay? For bad reasons. But you're waiting to turn 21. And then, then maybe if you're frugal, you're waiting to turn 25 because at 25, something happens and rental car companies go, okay, yeah, we'll rent you a car and it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg. You're in this stage where you continually are being told, yeah, not yet. Not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. Wait, 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 wait. But when it comes to what Jesus is saying, y'all, if you are a Christian, there's no waiting game left. You guys are the light of the world. Right now, you are on the front lines. You're not waiting to get to a certain life stage where now you can be effective as a witness for Christ. If you're not effective as a witness for Christ now, you're not going to be when you're 20. You're not going to be when you're 25. You're not going to be when you're 30. You're not going to be when you're 35. You're still going to be sitting in the same place in the church going, God, I wish I was a better evangelist. Well, now's the time to make that change and answer the call that God has placed on you to say, you are the light of the world. Imagine being out Camping and you're camping next to a cliff because that's smart, right? (laughs) And you're out one night, and you've got your flashlight on, and you see a child wandering near the edge of the cliff, and they don't have their flashlight, and they can't see that the cliff is right in front of them. How many of you in the room are going to go stop them? Every hand should be up, right? Every hand should be up. Yeah, we're going to go stop them, right? Because we would be a horrible person if we didn't. You're not going to sit there and go, well, my flashlight's not as bright as some other people's flashlights. I'm, I'm not as good at flashing my flashlight as other people are. And so, man, I, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit down right now and I'm going to pray that God would bring somebody with a mag light to go over there and stop that child from plunging off the cliff to its death. All the while holding the flashlight that you could do just as good a job as anybody else in what you've been called to do. See, but that's what we do when it comes to evangelism. We have neighbors, friends, family members who are in darkness and we're doing absolutely nothing about it and yet Jesus has made very clear to us that we have the light of the world. You have the good news of eternal life. You understand it. You have the gospel. You don't need to be Billy Graham to share the gospel with your lost neighbors or your lost family members or your lost coworkers. You don't need to be a pastor to share the gospel. You don't need to be the most eloquent speaker to share the gospel. But you do need to open up your mouth and talk to somebody. See, we have too many of us knowing that a person is in darkness and doing nothing. And it's like seeing that child on the edge of the cliff and doing nothing and just letting them fall to their death. Thinking, oh man, it's a shame that nobody came along with a better flashlight to go after that person. But hey, God's sovereign. See, I fear that we would feel worse about withholding our flashlight from that child than we do about withholding the light of the gospel from those in spiritual darkness all around us. And that's hard, because I'm not saying you shouldn't feel bad if a child was to fall off a cliff in an imaginary story in the middle of the night. But what I'm saying is you should feel worse when you realize that people are dying without the gospel all over the place, and some of them are your friends, some of them are your family members, some of them are your neighbors. And what you're doing is you're sitting there holding the flashlight saying, man, I I hope somebody with a brighter flashlight comes along and pulls that kid back from the cliff. See, when we think about light and darkness, light can't help but be seen in darkness, right? You get a pitch black room, you light a match. It's a tiny match and yet it's gonna be seen. People are gonna notice that match just as much as they're gonna notice if you turn on a, a, a bright flashlight in that room. Light is going to make itself known In the midst of darkness, Jesus continues in Matthew 5, 14, You are the light of the world. A city, he says, set on a hill, it can't be hidden. Nor, does he. he says, do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. As Jesus was talking to his disciples at this point in time up in the region of Galilee, and yet he's talking about Jerusalem, which would have been down south. He's saying a city set on a hill. The city that his disciples, his followers, would have immediately thought of would have been Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem held an elevated position and at night the the lights of the city would have glowed and it would have been unmistakable that, hey, there's a city here. If any of you guys have ever flown at night and you're coming in for a landing at night, before you touch down as as you're still a few thousand feet up in the air, you can look out your window and you can see the lights of cities everywhere, right? Right? And you can see where there's lights and you can see where there's just big open dark spaces. And what do you conclude about the big open dark spaces? Nobody lives there. Why? There's no light there. You can't hide light. You don't consider, well, look at all those people that have their lights under baskets down in that big dark space. No, you say there's, there's nobody there. But when you see the concentration of light, it stands out to you. You say, yeah, that's, that's a, a city because a city can't help but be noticed when its lights are on at night. And Jesus is making that point to say that needs to be us as well when it comes to our relationship with Christ when it comes to how we live in this dark world that we've been talking about already and so again if you say i'm a christian my question to you tonight is how noticeable is your light to those around you a few areas i want to ask you about right now number 1 is is your speech when you're talking with other people what are they hearing come out of your mouth is it different Is there light in your words as you are speaking to people? Jesus would say just a a few chapters later in Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 through 35, he puts a lot of weight in what we say. He's talking to the Pharisees. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So Jesus is saying there's a a correlation between the words that come out of our mouth and our internal state. There's a relationship there. So I want you to think about what your speech is like on a regular basis. Is your speech seasoned with light or is it matching the darkness of the world that you live in? What are the things that you talk about? What are the things that you joke about? But even more so, what are the things that you talk about in a hopeful way? What do you confess and saying, this is what I'm hoping in right now. This is where my joy is found right now. Is there a distinguishable difference between you and the person that you can think of right now who you know is lost and in darkness in the way that you speak? Another area I want you to think of is how the visibility of your life, your, your, your light is your boldness for Christ. Your boldness for Christ. Again, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 10 this time, verses 32 through 33, listen to what Jesus says here, and it should send a, a chill down our spine. He says, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Okay, so that's good. Jesus says, if you acknowledge me before men, if you are unashamed of being a follower of Christ, and you are bold with that, and you go out and you profess your relationship with Christ, and you are not afraid to let people know that you are a Christian, and that you believe in the gospel, and you think they should follow Christ as well. Jesus says, if that's what we're doing, I'm going to confess your name before my Father in heaven as well. That's an amazing promise, by the way. That's not just a a platitude thrown out there by Jesus. Think of your name and then think of the Son of God, that there's going to come a day where if you are faithful to acknowledge him before men, he is going to acknowledge your name. You are going to hear your name from the lips of Jesus before the Heavenly Father someday. That's amazing. But then this is the part that should send a, a chill down our spine. Verse 33, But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. That's sobering to us. And denying Christ, guys, what I want to suggest to you tonight is it's not just standing up and saying, Well, I don't follow Jesus. I'm not a Christian. I'm not talking about that. I think there's more to it this whole idea of denying Jesus. Are you being bold about your relationship with Christ? Are you acknowledging Him before others? with the great hope and promise and reward that he's holding out there to you saying, if you do that, I'm going to acknowledge you before my heavenly father. Or are you shrinking from him in shame? Are you holding back? Are you like Peter? Right? When, when Peter was confronted, hey, aren't you a, a Galilean? No. Hey, you were one of the followers of Jesus. No, I wasn't a follower of Jesus. I can tell by your accent you were one of his. And then he starts to curse. He says, I, I, I promise you, I never knew him is that what we're doing with our lives or are we bold for christ third your fruit as you're thinking about your light in this world your your brilliance in this world when thinking about the the brilliance of light your fruit what kind of fruit the fruit of the spirit right the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control And then I love what Paul says there. He says, against such things, there is no law. In other words, he says, go wild on those things. How's your fruit level right now? Does the world see those things in your life? Do they see the light through your fruit? And then your witness. Similar to your boldness, but more specifically, your witness. Matthew 28 all authority in, in heaven and earth has been granted to me. Sometimes we rush through that part, but think about what Jesus is saying there. Why would he say that right before sending his disciples out to share the gospel with people? Because sharing the gospel with people can be intimidating, can't it? It can be a little bit scary at times, can't it? But Jesus prefaces that by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The one sending us is the most powerful one that this world has ever known, will ever know. And he's the one that we are going out as ambassadors with the message of Jesus Christ. And so I ask you, how's your light tonight? Are you sharing the gospel with somebody? You're going to talk about that in small groups. Who are you right now pursuing with the gospel? I'm giving you some legwork, some, some, a head start on that to start thinking about that person. Who are you going after with the gospel right now? If the answer is no one, I'm, I'm not going to beat you up tonight. I'm just saying this. I'm saying figure somebody out that you need to pursue with the gospel. Because that's an area of obedience to Christ. And that's what area that that we are lights of the world. Well, the only way to conceal light in darkness would be to hide it, right? Jesus says that. Nobody lights a, a lamp and puts it under a basket. It's absurd, it's ridiculous. It's even more absurd for those that were listening to Jesus originally because the oil that was used to burn those lights was expensive. It wasn't cheap. And so Jesus is saying, you know what, nobody's gonna light a lamp and put it under a basket because that's just a waste of the investment. It's a waste of what they're doing. And so Christians, if you're here tonight and we've gone through those categories and you're thinking about, you know what, I'm I'm not doing a whole lot as far as my light in the world right now. Jesus would look at you and say, you're wasting your light. You've got your light under a basket and it's time to pull that basket off and it's time to turn up the, the brilliance on your light and it's time to start shining into the dark world around you. Point number two tonight is this, make sure your light is visible. Make sure that your light is visible. long ago there was a a train watchman whose job it was to run out to the tracks because the tracks had a railroad crossing just like we have uh, today but they didn't have the the arms that would come down or anything else like that and there weren't, weren't street lights or anything to to light the way and so uh, during the time of, of horse and buggies when a train was coming the train watchman would go out to the the road and he would wave his lantern so that any cars or vehicles that were coming up uh, buggies that were coming up would be able to see the light and they would be able to to stop knowing that there was a, a train coming well there was one particular evening where the the intersection that was in question there was a family riding in their buggy and the buggy went over the the train tracks and got plowed into by a train and everybody in the buggy died and the train watchman was investigated and the people investigating him were asking him questions did you go out to the track yes I went out to the track did you go out with your lantern to the track yes I I went out with my lantern to the track Well, did you go out to the lantern, to the track? Did did you wave your lantern like you're supposed to do? Yes, I went out to the track and I had my lantern and I waved my lantern like I'm supposed to wave it. Okay, well then you're clear. This was an accident, a tragedy, a horrible event that took place, but you are innocent, you're clear. Years later, as the watchman was dying, he called up one of those investigators who came back to his house and he said, "I, I can't help but think of those people. Those poor, poor people. And the investigator said, well, why do you still feel guilty over that? You, we investigated this. This was an accident. And he said, no, because you failed to ask me one question. You didn't ask me if my lantern was lit. And so he had gone out there like he was supposed to. He had brought his lantern like he was supposed to. He had been swinging his lantern like he was supposed to. But his lantern wasn't lit they couldn't see the light. They couldn't, the light was having no effect because it wasn't visible to the people that needed to see it. And too many of us are just like that watchman. We're going through the motions. We're playing church. We're praying for uh, evangelists to, to raise up and go to the lost people and save the lost people. But our lights are being covered up if they're lit at all. And we're ineffective Talking about being a light in the world is not the same thing as being a light in the world. Talking about sharing the gospel with somebody is not the same thing as sharing the gospel with somebody. Going on a mission trip doesn't fulfill your obligation to be a light in the world. It's not like you can check that box and go, Well, Jesus, I went on that STM, so I'm a light in the world. I I did my part. Just praying for the lost without actually engaging the lost is not doing your part. Going along with the patterns of worldliness, hoping that somebody is is one day going to ask you for the hope of the defense within you because you swear less than the person next to you is not doing your part. It's concealing your light. We have to make sure that our light is visible, that it's uncovered. Think about this room that we're in right now, this group. And if an unbeliever walks in this room, and believe me, they have, and they do, What would they think about Jesus and about Christianity after spending a few hours with us? Right before this parable, we read it at the beginning. Jesus told another one when he said, You're the salt of the earth. Salt is supposed to enhance the flavor of something, it's supposed to have a positive effect on something. And so, for us as Christians, we need to make sure that we are enhancing the flavor of Christianity for the lost world around us. How? By being lights in the world. And so when you think about that day that you will stand before the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, all of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat. And you're going to be called to, to give an account. How did you use your light? What is your answer going to be to Jesus? Will you be able to tell him that your light was seen by many? Or will you be like that trained watchman and hang your head and confess that your light was never really visible? Jesus continues in verse 16. In the same way, he says, put that light on that stand so it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, just like we do that, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In verse 16, we have another reason for pursuing being lights in this world yes it's to dispel the darkness and to see lost saved but there's another reason there notice the so that in verse 16 so that they who the the world the, the darkened world around us so that they may see your good works which are again part of our light and give glory to your father who is in heaven you are the light of the world to dispel the darkness and to glorify God In other words, as you think about your life, your life should be lived to make your Savior look good. You're a billboard for God. What's your billboard look like right now? If your life is aimed at making yourself look good in the eyes of others, then you're not doing it. It's our final point tonight it's this make God look good. Make God look good. Y'all know who Sarah Sanders is? That name ring a bell with any of you politicos out there? Sarah Sanders is the White House press secretary. She's the uh, CJ from West Wing, if you followed West Wing at all. It's thrown it back way before your time, but watch that show. It's, a, it's very well done. Anyways, what's her job? Press secretary, press secretary yes. But as press secretary is she just supposed to stand up here and be like, okay, here's all the facts, and I'm just going to read them out to you stoically and uh, unbiased? No. Her job, if she wants to keep her job, is to give the news to the press from the White House in order to make the White House and President Trump look how? Good, right? If she's not looking, the, making the president look good, she's not going to keep her job. She's going to be fired. She's going to be replaced and brought have somebody else brought in who can be the press secretary who can make sure that they're making the boss look good they're making the White House look good in a lot of ways that's how we need to be living our lives when it comes to God everything that we do everything that we say the decisions that we make who we are in public who we are in private everything about us needs to be aimed at making God look good In other words, if we followed you around for 24 hours, what would we see in your life that would stir our affection for Christ? Would we see you and watch your life and how you interact with people and think, wow, I want to know more of that God that that person follows? 2 Corinthians 5.20 quickly becoming my favorite verse. At least for now. 2 Corinthians 5.20, the Apostle Paul says this, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his, notice this, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What is an ambassador's job? To represent their boss well. An ambassador is one sent with a message, right, in the original context. You are my ambassador. I'm sending you to the the other people, and you've got a message from me as you go out. The other job of the the ambassador is, yes, to, to make that person who sent them with the message look good. An ambassador who shows up and this loser's got another message for you. I don't know what he's thinking. Wait till you hear this one. This one's really special, right? That's not a good ambassador. A good ambassador is one that's going with the message and they're going with the message and conducting themselves and behaving in such a way as to, to give that message extra weight because of their character and because of who they are. And so... God is telling us through Paul, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. And then he says this We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. I love that language because it tells us that evangelism can be an emotional plea with people, it's not a vacuum. It's okay for you to plead with somebody to be reconciled with Christ. It's okay for you to to be on your knees begging God to save somebody. We should be there. And so, when you think about the dark world that you live in, you are an ambassador of light. You are the light of the world. What type of ambassador for Christ have you been? This goes back to what we've been talking about already tonight. Being that light of the world. Seeing yourself as a part of the solution. Each and every one of you. God didn't step back and and through this parable say, hey, you know what? Most of y'all are light of the world. Some of you guys, your bulbs burnt out. Don't, Don't even worry about it. You guys just hang out on the sideline. He said, all of you, you are lights of the world. Seeing yourself as part of the solution. Making sure that your light is visible. And all the while making God look good in that process. This is your job as a follower of Christ. Again, I I said, I don't think this is an area that we're doing particularly well in. If you want to push back on that, push back on that with me another time. I'm happy to listen to all the people that you've been sharing the gospel with and the success that you're having, and let's, let's do that, and let's praise God together. But I'm guessing that we all in this room, myself included, feel that pang of saying, okay, I need to ratchet this up a little bit. And this is where family time comes in, guys, because this ministry is going to be as vibrant as we are effective at, at being ambassadors for Christ. It is. It's going to be as vibrant as we are effective, being ambassadors for Christ. So I, I want this ministry to, to be amazing. I want it to be effective. I want us to have full house in here, you know, every single Sunday night. The way that we're going to get there the fastest is not through promoting freshmen from true North. It's through you guys going out and doing this. It's through you guys going out and being ambassadors for Christ and sharing the gospel with the lost. It's through you guys going out and being lights in this world. It's through you guys going out and inviting people to come here to church. Maybe you have somebody in mind and you're thinking, well, I'm, I would love to invite them to church, but they're not saved. Invite them to church, okay? Okay. Just straight up, we—if—if if there were more lost people in this room than saved people in this room, I, I'd be okay with that because you know what we would do? We preach the gospel and love them, okay? So uh, go out and be lights. Invite people. Bring them. They don't have to clean themselves up before they get here. It's not going to reflect poorly on you if you bring somebody in here who doesn't look like us. That's going to be exciting, because this is where we're going to see lives change and we're going to see this group explode. They're not going to come from my preaching. They're going to come because you guys are out there, hands and feet, light of the world, bringing the gospel to the lost. This is the beginning of some changes that are going to be taking place in this ministry that are going to culminate in a couple of weeks. And you'll hear more about that next week uh, during announcements. And, and, I'm pretty excited about the changes. Um, I think we all kind of need to be taken and, and put in a giant paper bag and shaken up a little bit and dump back out and see what happens. Um, we're not going to do that. So if you're worried about that, don't worry about that. But there are some changes that are co- going to be coming e- even in just a focus. And this idea of being lights in the world is going to ultimately be the, the, the foundational focus that I want us to come back to. Okay. Um, Let's pray together and then a small group time afterwards. God, we are so grateful for the first light. We are grateful for Christ. We are grateful that he is the light of the world who came into this world. God, we are grateful that you have opened our eyes to see the, the greatness, the, the beauty of his light, and that we, through your grace, were drawn to that. Lord, now as, as followers of Jesus, we want to be effective. We want to go out and we want to be lights in this world to the lost in our lives and there are so many lost people in this room represented by those that are here tonight. Family members, friends, co-workers, fellow students, people that we see on a regular basis in the places that we frequent. Lord, help us to start thinking about every person that we come into contact with as a soul that needs salvation if they don't already have it. God, give us inroads. Give us Conversations to have with them. Give us ways to talk to them about Jesus because it's the most important conversation that we could ever have with them and who cares if they write us off as crazy. If 10 out of 11 write us off as crazy but one says, I want to hear more about that, tell me more about Jesus, it's worth it, God. Lord, help us to be bold, to go out, to be lights, to see ourselves as Lord, the answer to the darkness in this world around us. And it's not to just get into our holy huddles and retreat inward on ourselves, but it's to go out and it's to to try to push back the darkness with the light of the gospel. Help us to see our role in that. God, to make sure that our lights are burning. Some of us tonight, Lord, tonight is a gut check call for us to say, you know what, I need to fan this flame into into, fire a little bit more. I need to stop covering up my, my light and I need to get out there into the world and I need to be active in, being a light in, in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ would help us to be good ambassadors who make you look good, God. For that's our end, our purpose, is to glorify you in everything that we do, God. May you be pleased, may you be glorified, may you be exalted, may lost be saved. God, turn this group upside down, make it unrecognizable even just a month from now, God, because so many people get saved. God, for your glory, do these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.